Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. So there are some amazing ways to observe the way that lower species thrive in groups. A lot of what we're going to talk about today is groups. The flying V formation is used by Canadian geese for migrating long distances. So if the leader at the apex of the V starts to get tired or starts to get sick, another goose will step right in, I guess fly right in and take its place. It's like a really, really good example of teamwork. If the, team, if the church practiced this kind of teamwork, we would probably be in a much better place. A hive of honeybees can consist of up to 60,000 bees. Each bee has a specific job that contributes to the overall success of the hive. Sounds a lot like the way that the body of Christ is supposed to work together with all these individual roles, responsibilities, sets of gifts, and all that good stuff. Communication in the dolphin world is key to survival. From vocal calls to tail slapping, dolphins have multiple methods of, of communication to direct, lead, and get this part, protect each other. What if we were really protecting each other in the church instead of having something bad to say about the person that's sitting across from us or the person that's sitting diagonal to us right after the service? It's all about this continuity and this solidarity. It's working together in the animal kingdom. Wolves are known for traveling in tight-knit packs. They have a very strict social ranking, which forces them to be expert communicators. Some scientists believe that wolves howl communally to help strengthen social bonds and camaraderie, which is another great example of how this, this works. I've mentioned to you guys a number of times that we serve a relational God that has created us as relational beings. It's in our DNA. It's the way that we're wired. It's one of the reasons that this season of COVID has been so difficult for so many people. And we've seen these mental health statistics skyrocket. We've seen kids struggle in school because we are meant to be ultimately social creatures. So when we're pushed into something that's a little bit different, kind of difficult for us to adjust and to adapt. And there's a reason for this and a reason that we walk in Christ the way that we do. And it's this, community is God's idea and isolation is a horrible substitute. Communication, or I'm sorry, community is God's idea. It's the way that it's supposed to be. It's the way that we were designed. Yet what we see today are so many people who still claim to be Christians, uh, they don't go to church, or they're not involved in some kind of faith community that looks like something that represents the body of Christ. So instead, they isolate themselves, yet still carry that label or that title. 
So community is God's idea, and isolation is a horrible substitute. Now, if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bible, otherwise you can follow on the screen up here. You can use your phone. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at how Paul illustrates this and what has been suggested and dated more than likely as his first letter, even though it's not in order in that way. So what we're going to do is look at what he has to say about the importance of community today, right as we get into our community groups orientation dinner tonight as we begin our spring semester. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 11 through 23. Now this is what the passage says. So continue encouraging each other and building each other up. Instead, we're usually tearing one another down. Let's be honest. Now, when we're here and when we're together, we give the impression that we are building one another up, but a lot of what we do, if we were to hear your conversations about other people in this church, we're tearing people down. It's one of the reasons the church is where it is. So continue encouraging each other and building each other up, just like you're doing already. The church was doing this pretty good so far. Brothers and sisters, we ask you to respect those who you are working with, leading you and instructing you. Think of them highly with love because of their work. The work that they are doing is very important. Live in peace with each other. As if my job would be so much easier if we could live at peace with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are disorderly. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure no one repays a wrong with a wrong, but always pursue the good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every situation because that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't suppress the spirit. Don't brush off spirit-inspired messages, but examine everything carefully and hang on to what is good. Avoid every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself cause you to be completely dedicated to him, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept intact and blameless at our Lord Jesus Christ's second coming. So needless to say, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. But this is what Paul is referencing, and this is what the context is in this passage. If you did open up your Bible on that part, you probably even saw a subtitle that said something about the second coming of Jesus. So what the desire is on the part of Paul is to make sure, because they believe that this was going to happen within their generation. Many of us go weeks and weeks and weeks without thinking about the second coming of Jesus, but Paul is ready for it like it's going to happen any minute. So what he's trying to stress to these believers is he's saying, when this happens, when this event occurs, or with everything else that we go through as believers, we need to be united together. We need to make sure that people understand that we're on the same team, and you can't do that whenever you isolate yourself. And some of you are saying, well, I don't isolate myself. I'm obviously here on a Sunday morning. That's more than what a lot of people are doing. But we're going to go a little bit deeper with what we're talking about, this foundational piece of Christianity that American individualism has pretty much eradicated, is this idea of being rooted in community. 
and how important it is to have other people. How important it is to have people that maybe you don't agree with about a lot of things. How important it is to be united with people and maybe their politics are a little bit different than yours. The background that they have, where they come from, their social class, whatever that might look like is a little bit different than yours. How is it that we really engage in this mess and we live out what we're supposed to live out in our lives? One of the reasons that the church is in the shape that it's in, one of the reasons that there's just this negative viewpoint is because we live these lives that are not only hypocritical, but we act like we hate one another. I mean, all you have to do is get on Twitter for 10 seconds and see a theological argument between two brothers or two sisters in Christ. It doesn't take long. All right, but even within a local body, like here at Believer's Church, we see the presence of these things. So if we are going to have a truly effective movement of multiplication, all right, we're just out of our vision series in which we talked about this. If we are going to have a truly effective movement of multiplication, community must be at the heart of everything we do. There is no substitute for walking with Jesus together. There is no substitute for grabbing a brother or sister that is struggling and picking them up because at that point, you may be in a stronger place and helping them. Instead, we judge. Instead, we gossip. So this is the foundation of what we are doing this year. Tonight, as, as Roger mentioned in the announcements Callie mentioned last week, we begin our spring semester of groups with an orientation dinner. So there are no groups that are going to be meeting tonight. What we're going to do tonight is we're going we're to host you guys to a great dinner. If you're familiar with Portobello's, uh, that's where the food's coming from. It's going to be, yeah, some of you looked up. It's going to be really, really good Italian food. It's going to be a great night. There's no obligation whatsoever. But if you're serious about some of the things that we've talked about so far this year, if you've said, I'm on board, I have a desire to see this church go forward. I have a desire to see people sent out and multiply and replicate more gospel communities. I'm asking you to be here tonight. Because tonight's going to be a very, very important expression of this. So you could consider what I'm doing this morning a two-part message. All right, I'm going to talk a little bit about what Paul's saying here. And then I'm going to finish it up tonight whenever we're together. So if you want part two or a little bit more of this, you'll need to be here uh, tonight at the orientation. But this morning, I want to convince you again that community is God's idea and that isolation is a horrible substitute. So why is community so important? Why is community God's idea? Why is it that we can't just grab a hold of a way of life or a system of beliefs and go do it our way or go do it on our own? Why is it that that doesn't work as well? Why is it that that is problematic in so many ways? Why is community important? As Paul looks at this important event, the most important event, the, the second coming of Christ, he gives us a few reasons that community is so important. And what you're going to recognize as we consider the importance of community is that if you're not engaged in community, that your life does lack some of these things. All right, so uh, first, community provides encouragement. 
and isolation does not. Community provides a certain kind of encouragement. I'm not saying that your mom doesn't encourage you. I'm not saying that you're not an encouragement to your kids or anything like that. I'm talking about a very specific kind of encouragement. So this is what the passage tells us at the beginning of verse 10. Continue encouraging each other and building each other up just like you're already doing. So this church in Thessalonica, they're doing it pretty well. But most of us don't do it well. So Paul is saying, you guys are already doing this well. But what you have got to do, if you see that sister that is struggling with an alcohol issue, you've got to try to help pull that person up instead of tell everyone else at church behind their back how bad of a sinner they are. If there is someone in your life that is struggling with something, you lift them up and you build them up the same way that you would hope they would lift or build you up. The strangest thing to me is that when people uh, tend to go through dark moments in their lives, they tend to go through deep struggles, they don't know what to do, church is one of the last places they ever want to go. I need to be lifted up. I need some help. I need some encouragement. I don't know what it is that I need to do, but why in the world do I want to subject myself to a bunch of judgment? When you walk into a church, well, bless his heart. You've heard what's going on in his life. Just pray for him. Just pray for him. No, it's about people building around you. It's about us recognize something that's going on in your life. We had someone come into our senior leadership team meeting the other, uh, the other night. I got a text that the person wasn't doing well. I said, let's get around this person and put hands on this person and pray for this person and build this person up. But we don't see any of that. I can tell you as an alcoholic, nine years sober last week, that if it would have not been for the encouragement of some men that were in our church, text messages, people pushing me, people encouraging me to go to meetings, me being in meetings in which I was actually getting help, I would have otherwise just pushed this stuff away. You can do this. You can do this. Sending me passages all the time. Strong accountability. You can do this. God has something for you. Doesn't exist in isolation. It doesn't exist. It's not present. It's not there. And it's the reason that a lot of people use this label, I'm a Christian. This is what I believe in. I have this particular value system, but they never move in their lives at all. It's about the body. Because community is God's idea. And isolation is a horrible substitute. One of the things that's meant the most to me, and I have to tell you guys this because I have to brag on you, this has been a complicated, weird, frustrating, difficult year. Uh, to just use a few words to express this. And then all of a sudden, I get this text one day. Day one, pray for Pastor Matt over, you know, whatever it was that day. And I'm like, is this real? Like, my church has decided, some people at my church have decided to, to take the phone numbers. And, like, and, and I know a lot of you, if we have you in the database, you're receiving these text messages every day. And the fact that even a handful of you might be taking that serious and stop in your day, can I tell you? that I feel those prayers? Can I tell you that that encouragement to me 
means absolutely everything because I will tell you an isolated life, and that's the life of a pastor. And whenever you have that kind of encouragement, and whenever you have people praying over you as a dad, praying over you as a husband, praying over your character, praying over the spiritual warfare that comes into our lives, that's what community is all about. So there's just a few days left of that. I hope you feel convicted to pray if you haven't. But it's, it has, it's made, a, it's made a huge difference in my life. Now, here's another thing. Community provides mutual respect. I'm, I'm going to say it like it is. Some of you don't like people that are in this room right now. I believe that. I believe most of you do. I believe some of you are somewhat indifferent. But I believe if we were going to be really honest, if we were just looking at this past week, you've gossiped about someone that's in this room. You've said something that you don't like about someone that is here today. We're just talking about Believer's Church right now. We're not talking about capital C Church around the world. My prayer first is that you'll repent before you leave. My second prayer is that you will learn the mutual respect. Listen, I don't agree with some of you on a lot of things. But I love you more than words can even begin to express. Because that's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm called to do. It doesn't come even very natural sometimes. Mutual respect, and I love this, spiritual solidarity togetherness. That's what the body teaches us. That's what community teaches us. Isolation does not. Paul says, brothers and sisters, we ask you to respect those who you are working with or working with you, those who are leading you. No, no, I'm not going to be led by her. I'm not going to be led by him. I'm not going to stroke her ego anymore. I'm not going to stroke his ego. I'm not going to do that. You're living outside of the will of God. If that is your viewpoint. Now, if there's a moral issue with this person, that's different. That's something that should be brought to the pastor. That's something that should be brought to someone. But if you're just like, I'm going to do things my way. Because I'm used to doing things my way, and my, ways, my way works. Mutual respect. Social solidarity. Because you know what this does? Takes a lot of those childhood wounds. Takes a lot of those issues you have. It takes your own arrogance. It takes your spirit of unforgiveness. It takes the darkness within you. And it burns it out of you. When you learn to do this. When you learn mutual respect. Listen, let's just be honest. There are a lot of us in here in this room because of different interests. Because of our age groups. Because of the way that we view things. If we just knew each other on the outside world, we might not hang out. It's just a fact. It's nothing against anyone. It's just the nature of how friendships are built. But the relationships that you build outside of your original family are going to be the most important relationships that you ever have. And I can promise you that. Brothers and sisters, we ask you to respect those that you're working with, leading you and instructing you. Think of them highly with love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Meaning that if there's someone here that you're not living at peace with, 
Do everything that you can. See, this is the way that I believe God works. I've seen God work in miraculous ways more with what I'm about to say than anything else I've ever seen. And this is when someone has had a real issue with someone else in the church. And maybe this is something that's went on for years that the other person doesn't even know anything about. And they approach this person and they say, I have to be honest. You said something that really hurt me. You said something that offended me. But I understand that I cannot be right with God and wrong with people. It's just impossible. Doesn't doesn't work that way in a relationship with God. A relationship with God constantly pushes you into uncomfortable places that you don't want to be. And then all those wounds you have inside, I'm going to show him, I'm going to show her, he burns it away. And there's this peace that passes all understanding. Community provides mutual respect because we have to work through it. It provides spiritual solidarity. When rooted in community, we spend time with people that we otherwise would not spend time with. And there is nothing in this world more powerful. And again, I'll say it, we don't see it very often. And some people live their entire lives in a church and never see it. But when we work together as a body, each member using their gifting, their functionality within this body, and we make the decision that we are going to have mutual respect for one another, and that we are going to work within this spiritual solidarity, there is nothing that can stop what the power of God will do. But instead, what we see are these little hang-ups, these little things. People are so easily offended. I just don't even understand it. And I know that I'm kind of a thick-skinned person, but if you say something, people will just like, I don't get this, okay? And I'm just going to say this for a second. I I didn't grow up this way. There are people who will get upset about something and they will hold on to it their entire lives. That is so foreign to me that I can't even begin to fathom what that's like. Get over it! How do we move forward? How do we operate as the body? This is square one. This is not way down the road. This is where we start. Probably have a phone call or two I need to make today. There is nothing more powerful than the body working together, learning together, really learning the power of Scripture together, forgiving, trusting one another. Trust is hard. Trust is really hard. Helping one another the exact way that the early church does. But also community provides, and people hate this one, community provides accountability. But it also provides group integrity. Isolation does not. No group integrity with isolation. No, zero accountability with isolation. So this is what people think. This is what they say. I'm spiritual but not religious. That's what they say. I don't believe in organized religion. 
what a lot of people are saying is that they're not going to commit to the body. That's what they're saying when they make those statements. This is what the passage tells us, verses 14 and 15. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are disorderly. You know what that is? That's accountability. Warn them. If they're about to go in the bar, if they're about to go back over to that relationship that is absolutely horrible for them, if they're about to do this, if they're about to do this, again, going back to the first point, build them up, encourage them, keep them out of that situation. If it's, a, if it's possible at all, keep them out of something that is going to hurt them. Accountability. And then group integrity. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak, the people in our neighborhood that are broken, the least of these. Be patient with everyone. I love this one. Make sure no one repays a wrong with a wrong. Do you hear what she said to me? I'm going to get her back. She said it this way. I'm going to show her how ugly I can be. Do you know anything about Jesus? Do you know anything about Jesus? We don't have that privilege. We don't have the authority to do that. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good. But when someone wrongs me, someone hurts me, and I'm telling you, people have ripped me apart. I have called people in my family and on my county accountability board like a sobbing baby before. And then I start thinking, how in the world do I keep from returning this? God starts to burn more out of me and more out of me and more out of me. But instead, I'm just going to hate him for the rest of my life. That's the viewpoint often that we have. You see, encouragement, mutual respect, solidarity, group integrity, these, these are considered desirable things, all right? They're, they're, they're not that hard to come by if we work within a group. But accountability is a whole nother thing. People hate accountability. I hate accountability. I get on these, you know, low-carb plans, and people start, what are your calories today? Leave me alone! You know, when I first, I had this, this friend, and I would say, well, I'm just going to have one beer, or I'm just going to have two beers, I'm, I'm just going to have 113 beers, you know, whatever it would be, and then he'd call me, you know, have you left the bar yet? Or you, and I'm just like, I'm not going to respond to your, I'll respond to him tomorrow when I'm in that real guilt-shame person, and I'll tell you what, in that, Guilt, shame, place, and I'll tell you what happened. People hate accountability. It's one of the biggest reasons that people don't come in to community. So listen at this. I do not believe it's possible to grow in Christ without accountability. I don't believe it's possible. So if you're, let me tell you a story, and I'm going to be as vague as possible as I can with this. Yesterday I was sharing some stuff uh, with Beth and Callie about how I felt about a particular thing. And I was just, well, I think this is the way it is, and I think that's the way it is. And they had a difference of opinion. I go upstairs to start to start uh, to study my sermon, and I became so full of anxiety and tears that I broke down. And my daughter's 15 years old, almost 16. I walked downstairs and I said, I'm going to ask you for just a second, not as your stepdad, and not as your pastor, not as any kind of authority. Where am I wrong? Because I knew I was. I knew I was pushing my, my control buttons. 
my anger buttons. And I said, I said, this has nothing to do with me being a pastor. This has nothing to do with me being a leader. I can't be a follower of Jesus if I don't understand where I'm messing up. She told me. <laughs> so, um, why do we, why do we choose isolation? You know, some of you, your su- Sunday mornings, what, what you're going to get. Why do we choose isolation? I'll run through these real quick. Number one, because we believe the church is flawed. That's one of the reasons that people choose isolation. It's a corrupt place. I don't like organized religion. I don't like this. I don't like that. I can do it better on my own. All right, so that's one of the reasons that we choose isolation. Number two, uh, because our priorities are just flat out mismanaged. That's one of the reasons that we choose isolation. If your kid's sporting events or extracurricular activities, I'm sorry. If your vacations, if your work, if all these things are going to come before community within the body, if you're, just if you're calling yourself a believer, okay, not if you're outside of the body of Christ, but if that's the case, a lot of times people choose isolation because our priorities are mismanaged. Um, it's because we want to create our own version of Christianity. Uh, we believe that we have the intelligence, or maybe because we're watching the right YouTube channels or we're listening to the right podcast that we can do that. You know, we have these things, but we don't necessarily, um, we're not necessarily growing through the pains. I'm telling you, this, this church thing, it's a mess. Like, it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard to get along with people and do the right thing. I promise you, I fail at it all the time. That makes me miserable that I fail at it. But we've got to do it together. But people think they can just kind of create their own version if it's, if, as if that's like a thing that you can do. Uh, also, because like I said, we hate accountability. We choose isolation because I've been in so many community groups where, where people have come out and said, I have got an issue with pornography and it's destroying my marriage. I've got an issue with money. I've got an issue with lying. And then we've got this group of guys that's like, okay, well, let's talk about it. We want to help you. We want to see you be able to get through this. And then they never show up again because it was very hard for them to be vulnerable and talk about it. And they wanted to be able to talk about it. They just weren't quite ready for people to ask them about it. All right, so we choose isolation because we, we want to uh, avoid accountability, but also because we refuse right relationships. We refuse right relationships. We, for whatever reason, people in the church are boring, people in the church are bad, people in the church are all these different things. So what we try to do is we try to go this isolated path on our own. Uh, Paul was stressing something very important to this church, and I don't want us to miss it. Jesus is coming back. All right, that's a promise. And he looked at this like this could literally, in the first, in the first century, they believed it would happen within their generation. They believed the, sec- the second coming was imminent, and it was something that was going to happen, and they looked at it with this really, really strong sense of urgency. So what he's saying is when this happens, I want us to be together. I want us to love one another the way that we're supposed to. I want us, if we do have disagreements, to at least be in the process of working through those so that things aren't ugly. If we're going to be facing Jesus, if this is really a reality, there are things that we need to work through. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus could come within our lifetime. And when he does, if that's the case in our lifetime, I hope I'm with you guys. I hope I'm with my immediate family. I hope that I'm with the people that I care about the most instead of being isolated away from other believers. Other, uh, when we've started our community groups, another thing that I've said to you guys a lot uh, that, I, that I just will stress again, Sunday mornings will never be enough. All right, Sunday mornings will never be enough. 
it's when we come together corporately and whenever we come together to worship, there's something very, very special. Scripture talks about this, something very, very special that happens. But let's just be honest. You can walk out of this room without ever talking to anyone about anything that's going on in your life and completely remain unchanged. You need the community. You need four to six, 10 to 12 people speaking into your life. You need the relationships that the body of Christ provides. Community is actually core value number two for us. We believe that we follow Jesus together, not in isolation. So we practice this several ways, but the most significant way we do this is with our community groups. There are people that are in this room right now and, and some people that are, that are watching online or that, that are not here today, and you took a big leap of faith with us earlier this year whenever you did this breaking ground fast with us. So what I'm going to ask out of a lot of you that are here tonight is to take another leap of faith if you've never been part of a group and be here tonight. At the, at, at the least, you'll learn about what we do with our groups and why those are important to us so that you can see how you can invest deeper in this idea of community. So you know how vital community is to the early church? We're going to be going through Acts soon, how vital community is uh, to the early believers. They met the needs of one another. They shared their lives together. They desired being with God while also being with one another. And I know that you're saying and thinking in your mind, well, this is the 21st century. That was the first century. Things have changed a lot. We have these uh, things called careers now. Uh, societies have become much more complex. So it's just not possible to break bread and live together and do all those things that you used to do that you would do in the first century. Now, that's true, but that's not the problem. The problem is that community is not a priority. It's just not a priority. Now, let's just be honest, okay? Because some of you are here on Sunday mornings. Some of you are here on Sunday mornings, you know, maybe once or twice a month. But when we look at groups, when we look at building these significant relationships in our lives that we all need, none of you are in a spiritual place to where you don't need that. Community is not a priority. My life's mission is to replicate small gospel communities all over East Tennessee. And that happens when we learn the pattern and the rhythms that we only find in community. Tonight we're going to talk about groups. We're going to grow uh, deeper into what this means. And we ask that you join us tonight as we pursue good ground further. Uh, Father, we lift you up and we thank you so much for your goodness, uh, for the mercy that you continue to provide. Uh, God, my, my heart this morning is really for us to just go deeper and deeper into this place of community. If there are individuals that are in here, uh, usually it involves some kind of secret sin. Usually it involves, sometimes it's anxiety. Sometimes, you know, people are introverts and they're not as comfortable around other people. Uh, Father, some of those barriers that are, that are understandable, that are within us, 
I pray that you, you break those, those barriers. And, and God, not so that we can count numbers and be happy about those, but instead so we can get to know more people. So that the person that is struggling with maybe depression or anxiety, uh, the person that's maybe struggling in their marriage, the person that could be struggling with substance abuse, uh, the person that could be struggling because they want to go deeper in their walk with Christ but really don't understand how to, or maybe even some people that are just on the outside of following Jesus looking in so that they can understand what that path looks like. God, on a deeper level with some of the things that we've talked about, if there are bad relationships, Father, within this church, my God, I, we don't have time. My prayer, Father, is that you bring those to light. That you just bring those to light, that you make those clear. And Father, I pray for a heart of repentance for us. Because it's easy to get upset. It's easy to be frustrated with the way some people work or the way that some people operate that are not exactly like us. God, I, I know that. I, I'm a critical person. But God, my desire is that we can learn how to work through these relationships. Father, that we can see people that are completely different and the only thing that they share is this relationship with Christ. Pick one another up in dark seasons of life. God, my prayer for our church is a deeper sense of community. And Father, we lift you up and we praise you for the things that you are going to do in this church and also tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we begin a new series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.